This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com Shalom and welcome to Practical Spirituality here in the old city of Jerusalem in Asia Torah overlooking the Temple Mount. Creation is a constant state. The word for present tense is hove, and God is is said to be the mihave. He's the mihave. He's the causer. The word the mem at the beginning of a word is causative, and it causes. He's the causer of the present. We have the we make the mistake. We make the mistake of seeing ourselves as moving through time. We see ourselves as moving through time, this being time. And which is which is totally fine. I mean, it's good that you see the world with time because you have a very important part of your brain called the default mode network, the DMN, which its job is to predict the future for you as you walk up and down staircases. You don't just fall on your face. And uh, your job, the job of the DMN, is that you can drive a car predictively and not wind up smashing into something. So you definitely need that aspect of time going on so that you're like working along the t- a time spectrum it's extremely important that your brain works predictively unfortunately though the DMN network is uh, has, a, has the bad side to it in that it's um, there's a lot of stimulation that hits you throughout the minute, you know, every minute there's a lot stimulating you, like lots going on. And as you're, all those stimulations are hitting you, there, it causes the, your default mode network to, to get kind of distracted and, you know, you could get easily distracted. And that's why when you're driving, it's pretty important that you're limiting your distractions while driving. Because you don't, you want your default mode network properly predicting how to react to the highway, cars around you, and stuff like that. And therefore, part of the default mode network is to suppress what's happening around you, such that the that the you're not getting uh, you're not getting bombarded by other stimulation. And so, the default mode network actually has. Within it, the default mode network actually has inside of it a, a predictive ability. You guys, there's a bench over here. So the default mode network... The default mode network, which is at the right between the two lobes, it's right in the center there, in with this like wide range of all the other parts of your brain that get stimulated, is 
is part of its job is to suppress the stimulation of all those parts of your brain and and so if you look at it in an, on an MRI the default mode network is when it's very active so it's got all the rest of your brain inactive and limit very limited action going on so that it can be predicting appropriately what's interesting about that is that it it's they've actually discovered that you see very little when you walk around your your brain's predicting a lot of it there's even a video i think it's on youtube even that I think it shows people playing ping pong and a gorilla comes in and just starts dancing around. I don't know what it does, but a gorilla enters the scene like a person dressed in a gorilla suit and then leaves. And when you ask the people if they saw the gorilla, they don't see it. They figured out a way to just that you don't see it, but if they tell you to look for it, then you see that a gorilla actually came in. And so our brains work predictively a lot of the time. And so therefore we're we're not experiencing a lot of things that are happening around us. Because we're trying to predict accurately our world around us. What they have seen though is that if you can uh, get the the default mode network that part of the brain to quiet itself and to actually get it unstimulated. So in an MRI what it shows is that all the other parts of the brain that usually get all that stimulation start interacting incredibly, like incredible amounts of interaction take place. They've done uh they've done uh MRIs of of toddlers, children's brains and their um who's you know that that part of the brain they just haven't had enough past they haven't had enough past to be predicting the future that's why you got to keep an eye on those kids cuz you know you, you can't just have them walk off either cuz they don't have enough past to get home from wherever they walk off to so they the um when they put them in an MRI to check their brains they have their default mode networks very quiet and all the outer stimulations happening big time. In other words, they're experiencing a world that we don't see because our brains predict what we're seeing so that they it can stay on task. While the while the infant's brain is is uh, not infant but a toddler until a certain age, till it develops plenty of past is um that part of the brain's quite that part of the brain is quiet while the rest of the brain is highly uh, networked quite beautiful to see uh the pictures of those MRIs when when you know in in color how their how their brains interacting with itself how the brain interacts with itself to the point of actually seeing sounds which is an amazing thing because uh, I forget the term for that anyone know the term for seeing sounds anyone got google here just so what's it called you have to say it real loud cuz i got the meditation synesthesia I think you're right synesthesia. Anyway, it's seeing sounds. And so at Mount Sinai we were put in the state of seeing sounds where our where we were in full experience 
You could say perhaps that full experience, or should we say prophecy, is the ultimate shutdown of the default mode network. That pro a prophetic experience, a real nouveau, is the full shutdown of the default mode. And that really gives us an amazing new way of looking at our minds, that our minds are preventing us more than they're showing us. And this is why people who have the mental discipline of meditation um, in, in chorus with, in orchestra with high IQ, develop amazing, amazing, uh, groundbreaking uh, uh, discoveries. Nouveau, is it? or Navua <laughs> or prophecy but they'll also be, they'll be they'll be front runners in high tech and people who have that ability the, the same brain scans are shown also by by meditators meaning the same brain scans of children are the, um, show up the same as meditators and as well as as people who have uh, who have had have ingested compounds of the psychedelic nature, that the same thing happens, that the that psychedelic compounds cause the default mode network, the center of the brain, to just quiet. And then all of a sudden, all the one's surroundings. But just like someone in deep meditation or a little child or someone on a psychedelic compound, they should not be driving because their predictive abilities are going to be low while having a super high ability to to connect the dots of reality around them in a, in a very uh, experiential place. Human beings' default mode network is deeply complicated by one's, one's own personal narrative as well. That's, that creates even more issues for us. Because if you think about your life, you've had a whole story, a whole narrative. Your life is a narrative. It's a story you can tell. So there's a narrative to life for you. And what happens is every rough thing that ever happened to us, whether it had to do with loneliness, hurt, failure, rejection, um, fears of the unknowns, of uh, every trauma, all those things, we, we cannot help. Once that's in our past, we can't not help but to put that on like a, like a transparency on an overhead projector. You know, you've ever seen those overhead projectors in school with the overlays or an anatomy book that puts more and more on the bones of the person. But we can't, we cannot help but put our narrative on everything. Just like a driver would like to protect his or herself from the oncoming, you know, uh, challenges on the highway. The, um, so too the human being wants to protect themselves emotionally and so we, we further, we're further complicated by that this is why I've spent uh, for the last 17 years I've spent uh, lots and lots and lots of time taking groups through their narratives I, groups come to me in the possibly seminar and all we do is just isolate your narrative until your narrative is no longer even interesting to you. And then what happens is they go home to their spouses and their spouse says by the next morning, because they're not going to be sleeping much that night, because who can sleep when your default mode network's been shut down like that? 
in the world of stimulations right in front of you and you're experiencing everything fully but then also all of the all of your narrative which is like a in Hebrew would be a word chatzitza it's like a a film coding your relationship to your spouse, your children, or your friends, or, or even strangers. Obviously, we heavily coat that because that's dangerous. Strangers. And many of the many of the <coughs> graduates of the work I do will find themselves speaking to strangers <laughs> for hours. <laughs> Several of them have reported back to me that. They left the seminar at 11 o'clock, but they only got home at about 6 in the morning because they were on their way home. They went to fill up gas, but they noticed that such amazing people keep showing up to the gas station. <laughs> Cars kept driving in by the dozen. And, and the best thing about the gas station they were at was it was all self-service, which meant they were leaving their vehicles, which gave him ample opportunity to befriend them. This is someone who hadn't talked to anybody in about 10 years. <laughs> Besides people he really trusts. And uh, just had, you know, a night of a night at a gas station that he still, to the, now it's 20 years later, he still looks back on it and he tells me something. Now he's just totally interconnected with everybody. He's like an octopus. This guy's got his tentacles everywhere. But he... Um, he says he recalls that day 20 years ago, or not 20 or whatever, 15 years ago, as one of the, the most beautiful nights of his life, where his default mode network had been subdued to the point where he also didn't need his narrative to protect himself from the strangers. And which brings us to journey in general is to take life's journey. Journeys are so important. I take a lot of journeys. I take micro journeys, just like I was surfing on Friday at a wilderness beach, a really beautiful, beautiful wilderness beach. And but it was it was an adventure, and the waves were very big, and it was there was a lot of unknown. And the sea in general is kind of a archetype for the unknown. It is the unknown, and, uh, and there, there was there was a journey and a challenge with it, and not to mention the frigid waters and the and uh, not knowing exactly what was underneath us. Like you know, we definitely passed over. You know, there were rock outcroppings on the beach and other ones out in the ocean, and there was no way to really know what was under us while riding powerful waves that were quite hollow and shallow. There was a lot of unknown there. Marriage is going into the unknown with somebody. And it's uh, one of those unknowns that requires no way out to even get through it. Like there's certain journeys where no way out is is going to be really important to you because if you have a way out, you'll check it out. <laughs> there are certain things that are really scary. And so it's best for us not to have a way out. 
Also, uh, those psychedelic compounds are like that too, because once they're in your bloodstream, <laughs> there's not really much you're going to be able to do at that point. You know, you're going in, and uh, hopefully you're in the right place, in the right mindset, with the right person or people around you for such a thing like that. But marriage is a real no way out necessity. You'll notice, any of you who were not raised observant here, who have been in relationships, you'll notice that you always leave, or that someone else leaves first. But you always leave. And so having true intimacy with someone too, it's so complicated. And it's incredible we live in a generation that has tried to, that thought that, that you know, just with, just with birth control, they, it could become something uncomplicated. It's like, no, <laughs> no, it's going to be really complicated. You know, getting rid of birth control is like, doesn't make it less complicated. In fact, you could say that things got a billion times more complicated. As a result, so complicated that, that for people to actually arrive at the, at the, at the goal, which is for someone to actually hold your heart, that most people can't even get there till their mid to late thirties in the non, you know, Torah community at least. It's really complicated. And it's one of those things that requires no way out. I mean, there's a way out, but you're going to be suffering the rest of your life. You know, I have a saying that the only thing worse than a bad marriage is divorce. Because you're, you're stuck with that sucker forever. You know, you're never getting out of that. And, the, uh, and if you have kids, ten times more forever. So it's got to be really bad if you're going to go for the divorce route with this person forever. Because your divorce lasts forever. It's just a constant thing, especially with children. But even older, you know, weddings, life cycle events, just like, like awkward becomes your middle name. But that's life in general. Like, there, there's got to be a no way out. You know, when you're surfing's a good analogy for this because when you're paddling to in paddling to, into a wave that's. Eight feet, nine feet, ten feet. You can, uh, you can. You're watching the wave while you're paddling in, and you can decide that this is not the wave you want and pull back. All you do is sit up on the board, dig your feet in a bit, and just kind of get all your momentum back. Pull the nose up a bit, and it kind of sticks you there. And the wave hopefully does not send you sailing over the falls with your board between your legs. You know, for your second circumcision. <laughs> I mean, no surfer would let that happen, but I've seen it happen to beginners. You know, a surfer, if that happened, you're obviously going to let your board go ahead of you and just go like that, that it shouldn't bang you when you finally land. Anyway, the, uh, but when the, when the waves get bigger, when you're up in the bigger zones of uh, 15 feet up to, to the, and all the way up from there, 20 feet, 25 feet, 30 feet, once you're in those sizes... You're, it's no longer a question whether you're going to pull back because you can't pull back. 
and you will get sucked over with that giant wall of water. And so you're going in and you're committing to that, no matter what happens. So it might be an amazing way, but it might be a disaster, but you're going to at least be on your feet riding down it. And when it wave impacts, it won't be impacting on you, it will be impacting right behind you. And, and then you'll be getting your, your uh, oceanic enema right after that but the but the but it's fully committed you're going in all the way if i can share with you just in a graphic uh, something about commitment and that is uh, We often think, think that when we make a decision that we've committed. And so I put it in a Venn diagram, decide and commit, because we confuse them. We think when we, when we committed to something, sorry, when we decided on something, we thought we were committed. Now, how do you get to decisions? The way you get to decisions is through reasons. And reasons lead to decisions. And that's why the root the root side, to decide, it comes from the root to eliminate. Like pesticide, genocide, homicide. It means to eliminate. And what is that supposed to mean, eliminate? Well, the answer is, is that, let's say you have five alternatives. And... Each one's got a plus and a minus, many plus and many minuses why you might or might not do it. And so you add up the plus and minus of each one and you eliminate them till you get to finally the one that's the choice, that has the most positives and the least negatives. And you made a choice. You made a decision there. But sadly, many people stay here thinking they're here. But what happens is new reasons come up or reasons you had for the thing you chose no longer exist. It'd be like, it'd be like marrying someone because they're nice, thin, and uh, giving. And then like, you know, what do you do when they're not nice, thin, or giving? Which is the definition of pregnancy. <laughs> you know, are you out of there? <laughs> I mean, that's a ridiculous example, but it, but you'll notice that the reason why you keep taking the exits in your life is because you've been thinking all this time that you were committed to things when you were actually in decision mode. And there's a world that people live in. I've noticed for years and years. I mean, I, I can tell you right now that what has separated unique individuals from the masses has been whether they live in decision mode or in commitment mode. See, people who live in decision mode, you can count on just about nothing. <laughs> because all it takes is a couple of reasons and they're gone. And so, there's not, that, meaning that their vessel's full of, it's full of holes. It just, you know, it is a vessel. Sometimes they are there. So there is a vessel there, but it's not a vessel that holds much. Definitely not someone you want to be investing money with or doing business with or partnering with or marrying or 
you know, because once it comes to putting some serious weight into a, a situation, you do not want to be with someone who's reasonable. And that's the term that's often used there is, this is someone who's reasonable. That means on their on the settings, it has like whether you can enable or disable something. So these people are reasonable. They they've checked the reasonable box, and and all it takes is reasons, and they're and they're just gone. And we all know people like that, and we 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 like them, but we don't want to put love there because, or we don't put love there nor money or any other professional relationship where. There's a lot at stake and, you know, <coughs> high consequences. You know, they're great people. They're wonderful people. And, and obviously we care so much about them, but, but they're just not people that you're going to invest with because, because it's just a matter of reasons and they're gone. And boy, are there reasons. <laughs> Anything that even brings up a little fear is enough reason for most people to stop right there. And they're gone. And you know the world's full of fear. I mean, you don't maybe notice it during the day because fear is something very interesting. It's an invisible lens that you don't even know you're wearing. Like Peter, right now you're wearing those glasses, right? Did you notice your frames around you or you were kind of looking at me? You're looking at me. You see them now? I see mine now. I wasn't looking at mine either. Now, now I am. So one second. Fear is... Fear is a major lens that you don't even see. Like right now, you should know that that your fear of rejection is very real right now because you're in public. And you don't even sense it necessarily, but just for fun, <laughs> just for fun, just look at someone you don't know, which might be even the person next to you, but just look at anyone you don't know and sense sense what happens. Just look look at anyone you don't know here. And just sense it for a second. Find someone you don't know and look at them. Let them look at you for a second. <laughs> you can look backwards for a second. <laughs> so that's been going on this whole time. I've been distracting your fear by being in front of you. But that's been happening this whole time. And... Um, what I'm going to do now is I'm just going to call on each of you to answer. It's a riddle. I'm going to give a riddle. It's complicated. It's difficult. You need a high IQ to answer it. Um, and what I'm going to do now is I'm going to call on each. It's a one-word answer. So I'm going to call on each one of you to try that word. Okay, ready? So what that is, is that's called the fear of failure. You might have sensed that. I'm not going to really do that. But you, there's a there's a fear of failure, and that's going on, you know. Because who says I'm not going to call on you? Like I just called out Peter. You should have seen his face when I started talking about his glasses. You know, he was just like, Rabbi, can you choose someone else, please? <laughs> yeah. Some, first of all, some people don't feel that fear. Which one? Logically. Which one? I think all of them. Any of them. I, you I, met I, someone who doesn't feel fears. I do. I don't feel fear. Second, you don't feel you fear. Make, how do you make a conscious decision to decide to not to be committed if you are not a commi commitment person? So I'll stick with this I right now. Because that was that was that's my question. How do you make a question? You don't have a lot of fear either, do you? 
Anyway, anyway, you would be the first person I ever met who doesn't have these fears, which means that I don't. First of all, I, uh, first of all, I don't believe that you don't have these fears because you wouldn't be sitting here right now. It's not that I don't have the fears; it's that they're illogical. Because they're illogical, the fear is not necessarily fear. I can overcome it. You, you you generally get through life intellectually like that? I'm very, yeah, of course. What do you mean, of course? Ninety percent of people don't don't care what their head says. Yeah, exactly. Ninety percent of people are not me. No, you're maybe of that ten percent. There are people like that, but the majority of people have to have to get into a core emotion to make a shift, and you can do it intellectually, which is all the power to you. Congratulations, being amongst of you. Actually, I had a Shabbos guest like that, but we'll find out. He said starting Sunday, he's going to wake up every morning, just based on intellectual discoveries he's made. Now, show me a yeshiva bacher who wakes up every morning. You know, so we'll we'll see what happens with him. <laughs> Today's Sunday. I'm not going to call him today. I'll call him Friday and see how it went. Okay, now let's go back to here. Because you asked a good question, and let's see how we can go there. One sec. We're going to go here. So, anyway, but these are decide-oriented decide people. How do you change your perspective to think from a committed perspective and not a decision perspective? That's my question. You got me back on track. I was going there anyway. Oh, no. I just was a little off track. I wasn't even off track. I was just discussing how fears come up, and that's enough of a reason <laughs> to stop us. Everyone knows where we're at? So... So how do we do it? So the answer is, is it's like a lot of things in life that that sometimes when something gets distinguished for you, the coin drops. In Hebrew we say, ha-simon, nefer, <laughs> coin drops. And you're just like, boom, I just never thought of it like that before. Raise your hand if you never thought of it like this before. Okay, so for everyone raising their hand, you should know that I don't even have to answer. What's your name? I don't even have to answer to this question because this is one of those, the coin dropped and you can start looking at your life from like, decide or commit. You know, where am I with these things? And you can just slide it on over and what you do is you slide it to committed. Now, do you notice anything underneath the committed side? Is there anything under there? No. No, there's nothing under there. Nothing. And so... What happens is when you move your life over to committed, and by the way, you're only going to do this for certain things. This isn't everything, meaning, meaning if you're taking someone out for dinner in a movie and you find that the movie is not showing, but it's another movie, you don't have to go. Or you're going to, a, get, you're going to have meat and the person you're taking out to dinner wants milk. You don't have to drag them into the meat restaurant. You know, you can go to the milk restaurant. Not everything is a subject of commitment. But what you want to do is figure out which categories of your life are commitment categories. And what you do is you move that decision over to the commitment side, which means that you no longer let reason stop you, otherwise known as being someone who is what? Unreasonable. Become someone who is unreasonable in that 
particular commitment. You become someone who's unreasonable there. There's a whole question, I'm still answering this part. Meaning you're someone who doesn't let reason stop you. And this goes on many levels. Like, for example, when someone gets engaged, are they committed or are they deciding? We're deciding. They've decided on someone. How about when they put the ring on their finger? Or she receives that ring on her finger under the chuppah. What mode are they in now? Now they're in commitment mode, hopefully. But you want to know something I realized in my own marriage? is that when my wife would test my manhood, which is what women do, at least Jewish women, but Gentile women do this too, is when she would test my manhood the way a woman tests the manhood of her husband, because the, the male in a relationship represents solidity, while the female represents fluidity. And in her most feminine moments, she's at the, her most fluid time, that is the time that she needs the most stability and she'll check whether she's got that stability in her mate. And the way she checks her mate is by giving really rough jabs verbally. She attacks. And to see if he will go into fight or flight mode, or will he stand strong? Most men will go into flight mode. They're, they're, they will just go, if they're observant they will go to Mincha for three hours if they've already prayed they'll go to the bathroom for two so here she was looking for something stable and she got a, a, a you know a loose noodle a wet noodle and she um, and then what happens is uh, for the men who've both prayed and been to the bathroom they may actually fight back because he's now he has been attacked and he may actually fight back which is which is really going to be a disaster on her discovering any stability because any man who can even remotely learn a page of Talmud is going to you know you know really make her wrong and her any stability she might have been hoping to achieve through her marriage is, is not going to be happening. Not to mention the sad fact that the, the possibility of them being intimate on that night, which is at the height of her femininity, you know, the height of her fluidity, the chances of them being together on such a night after such, a, such an absolute, you know, knockout, you know, swing fest is zero. And they'd be lucky to get over their wounds over the next three days, which is a very interesting situation because at the height of her femininity, would be, that's the time for the height of his masculinity and therefore the ultimate night of that month for, for intimacy. This that I've just shared with you is sadly going on in most marriages, most months. Because the man just simply didn't recognize that he was being fitness tested. And his job while being fitness tested 
is to simply keep his mouth shut and when she's finished attacking to compliment her on how well she expressed herself and then to perhaps even reiterate some of the points just to show her that he was listening but at the same time to have his heart protected inside a little sheath of protection because she doesn't mean it and you know he's not gonna you don't want to come out of that wounded just you listened enough that you could reiterate it a bit obviously she's not talking about core issues in the marriage if it's core issues in the marriage that you got to work out just not tonight but it's often not core issues at all but to recognize that you're being fitness tested and to stand up to that sadly i've heard of um you know i've been able to meet a lot of people over my life and uh, you know just over a beer many times i've um over a beer many times i've had um and just do me a favor and uh, go to the next song this one seems to have singing in it so we don't we don't need a, we don't need a singer right now just the very next track thank you anyway i've been to uh, many uh i've i've been in many conversation with with divorced men with divorced men and obviously not every time but many many of the times and i would even say maybe the majority which could even be just 6 out of 10 men that i've met who were divorced that that this was exactly the mistake that had been made and it just enough of that you know too much of that it was a uh, it, in the end wound up in divorce and so he just didn't realize what was going on and uh, and also obviously people have their own personal dynamics so she could have been like she could have had a very strong feminine energy and he could have had a very strong a uh, very weak male energy too. So, in the one hand, he hit the jackpot having such a strong feminine energy for a wife. That was the jackpot, but in their chemistry, in his lack of understanding, he was being fitness tested. It became dis- a recipe for disaster. But it, when we're able to catch that same situation where he's not a very strong man and she's a very strong feminine woman, the uh, and we catch it in time with a little coaching they become like the couple of the century and they just totally are able to get those specifically those de- those days that used to be the option the possibility of divorce wind up being actually the greatest days of the marriage so what we do is we move ourselves from decide into commit so i marry my wife but i didn't know this distinction so the coin hadn't fallen for me so so i was someone who still let reasons stop me from my at least my emotional commitment in my marriage and so she she had the ability to have me shut down until i learned this and once i learned this i realized just stay strong for her she needs me to be strong for her and when my father calls me with lots of unsolicited advice 
men in the room, uh, raise your hand if when you speak to your father you get unsolicited advice. Yeah. Unsolicited, a fancy word for you didn't ask for advice, but you're getting it. Okay? It's almost every man in the room. And women, raise your hand if your mother gives you unsolicited advice when you speak to her on the phone. Okay, so it's half the women and the other half were lying. So whenever my father would call and give me my unsolicited advice, you know, I felt about nine years old. And how long do you spend on the phone with someone who makes you feel like you're nine? So it was amazing how he could never call at the right time. It's just incredible how a person can never call at the right time. And then, as soon as I got this and the coin dropped for me, and I just got committed to this man, plus one more little move is the reason they're offering that advice is because they love you. They're not calling their neighbors, your neighbor's kid. <laughs> you know, you're the one they're calling because they're crazy about you. They love you. Like they would, they would refinance or sell their home if you got into medical or legal trouble. I mean, they, these are the only people on earth that would like give up everything for you. And we can't give them the time of day and they can't cause them the right time of day because of, you know, but really they're just saying I love you. So I just let my father give me all the advice and when he's done with all the advice, I thank him. But ever since I got committed there, plus one more thing I'm going to share with you, another tool that I'm going to share is, but once I got committed there, I, I stay on the phone with my father. And it's been already a long time. It's been uh, close to 18 years. So I had about 20 years of getting off the phone with him and about 18 years of staying on. And now he can't call the wrong time. <laughs> he can't call the wrong time. Like, I could be on my way to Mincha at sundown, which is when you have to pray by, unless you're Hasidic, but I'm a Jerusalem Hasidic, so we pray on, you know, also with sundown, Mincha. He could call me at Mincha, and all of a sudden I get, I, I switch from the Jerusalem Hasidic to the European Hasidic, because I'm going to talk to my father. I'm not skipping that part. That this man loves me and he's going to be giving me all kinds of advice much of which I don't even understand but I'm going to nod and listen and get some love from the person who would do anything for me your father's more important to you than God <laughs> so, so it's an excellent excellent question and, and sharply asked You didn't mean to be sharp. That's okay. I like it. It keeps the it keeps the listeners more riveted. Um, you know, if you really wanted to line it up, but I'm not going to do that right now because if I see Rabbi Ellis, that means it's time. The um, but mincha is actually uh, mincha is is not is not necessarily a derisa experience. Having daven shachris and honoring my father with a, with that phone call is a Torah commandment. It's one of the top... It, it even hit the top ten list of honor your parents. It's on the top ten. Anyway, the... Um, just one more thing in getting yourself committed. Hi. Arn, I had no time warning, so guys, just stay there for a moment. I had no t idea what time it was. Just... Uh, 
wait, hang tight for everybody for one second. Don't speak or make noise for a moment. The, um, just one more thing to add to this that helps being committed a lot easier is you want to get in touch with, with the, you, you want to get in touch with the, with deep down what you're really saying about yourself. Because what I spoke about earlier was that our narrative of our own lives mostly includes the tough stuff. Meaning if you had 500 good days, but day 301 was rough, which day are you going to remember of the 500? 301 is the one that etched in. And those things that lock into us become the reasons why we get, we get, we are very reasonable in our relationships and in our <laughs> lives is because there's certain things that trigger that stuff. And so you want to get in touch with what triggers you. Understand your narrative deeply so that when you're going to, and you usually know you're going to be with someone who's going to trigger that kind of stuff for you. So you can really stay in the relationship, stay committed in there. Because you're already prepared before you even walked into that Pesach Seder or, or that, you know, visiting someone's home, your parents' home. You're already preempted and already, like, clear there before that you get triggered so you can really stay in there in a committed fashion. Um, please feel free to share this out there. Click share if you watch this and uh, be in touch with me if you'd like to join the Yom Tov Media Club. Um, we've, we've got a club of people that you can be part of. And, um, and everyone, make sure you have a Tubishvat Seder this evening. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.